Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's never been easier to communicate with people, but it's never been harder to know which platform you're supposed to communicate on. Here's a simpler solution. With call, meet, and message all in one app, RingCentral makes communication easy. With all that connectivity in the palm of your hand, you can work from anywhere with anyone at any time and never miss a beat. Because when it comes to communication, simple is better. Learn more at RingCentral.com. RingCentral. Simpler communications. Can I carry those for you? Thanks. Hey, I saw you help the guy in the wheelchair with his groceries. Another way to show him your good side? Donate at Griffles Plasma, because he also relies on plasma-based medicines. Thanks again. Find a center at grifflesplasma.com. You can receive up to $800 this month. Okay, Parker, so the thesis statement for this commercial is James Harden has the best beard in sports. What do you think about that thesis statement? Oh, I give it an A. You know, as a Houston guy, we we seem to have an affinity for our beers between guys like him, Dallas Keiko, lots of big beards in the Houston area. W- what do you think about the thesis? So, I'm a Jets fan, and I absolutely love the beard that Ryan Fitzpatrick has. So, maybe I would give Ryan Fitzpatrick the nod over James Harden. But... You're talking to a couple of bearded teachers, and we know a thing or two about making sure that you maintain that mane. So uh, check out the beard struggle. The beard struggle, they make oils, they make balms, they even have this heated comb thing to make sure that you get your beard straight so that you're looking fresh. I know I've really enjoyed using the oil they make for my quarantine beard of sorts. It's nice and long these days, but it helps <laughs> keep it nice and healthy and hydrated. And if you're listening to our show, you can use FN Sports 15 and get 15% off your oils, your balms, your uh, shampoos, conditioners, whatever you need to use to keep your beard looking healthy. Absolutely. Check out The Beard Struggle at thebeardstruggle.com. Whether you're just starting to grow or you have a luscious mane already, The Beard Struggle's got all the products that you need. The Beard Struggle. Feast your face. up sports fam it is mr shaka cummings it is mr parker ainsworth welcome to fn sports the podcast with two teachers grade sports biggest issues parker talk to me are you having any issues are you okay how are things in texas (laughs) things are hot uh covid numbers are up and so we're all staying inside and it's uh it's it's been it's been the start of the quarantine summer i guess it is hot out though how are things in kentucky I think that we're not as hot as Texas, just having lived in Texas. <laughs> we we are in the 70s, 80s. We just started football this week in terms of uh, some kind of really introductory stuff with our players. And, I mean, it's, like, literally really introductory. It's like, here's how you step. So uh, right. we're getting out a little bit and uh, doing some stuff. You want to go ahead and hit us with your gold stars and your detentions for the week? Yeah, so this week I have a handful of gold stars and detentions. Uh, first, I'll start off by giving a gold star to the WNBA and their proposal, they're finding ways to uh, include players receiving 100% of their salaries. Um, the WNBA and women's sports across the country have kind of been under fire for not paying very well over the course of the last, I don't know, WNBA's been around for 25 or so years. And so, you know, kudos to them for finding a way to at least get 100% of the salary into the players' pockets. Um, another gold star I got, uh, you know, obviously I'm a, a very biased Houston Rockets guy. I'm going to give a gold star to (laughs) Russell Westbrook. Um, I said on Twitter that Russell Westbrook might be my new favorite history teacher, uh, which is, I I 
I thought was pretty big praise coming from a history teacher myself. Um, but I'm Russ, a little insulted, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Russ is uh, working with some producers and things, but they're going to launch a, a docuseries talking about the Tulsa Massacre of 1921 and help to enlighten and educate people about something that kind of gets lost in a lot of history books. Russ is doing some good work there. He talked about in his post about it, you know, living in Oklahoma, and that was really when he first heard about it, was he hadn't heard about it as a student in L.A. or at UCLA. He, he, it took living in Oklahoma to really learn and understand it. Um, so kudos to Russell Westbrook for helping share the knowledge. Uh, and then my last gold star goes to NASCAR's Bubba Watson. Bubba, as the lone black NASCAR driver, uh, decided to make sure that he had his voice heard very literally by painting it on the outside of his car. And it's, it's pretty hard to ignore in a sport that, let's just say, is not very doesn't have a very colorful audience. Um, and he, he very much wanted people to know where he stood on things by painting Black Lives Matter and different graphics across the side of his car. Uh, so gold star to Bubba Watson for standing up for, for your beliefs and for just putting yourself out there in a way that made, I'm sure, a lot of NASCAR fans somewhat uncomfortable. Absolutely. Um, my, my detentions for the week, um, one of which goes to back to NASCAR, kind of. Actually, NASCAR, you know, in banning the Confederate flag, could have owned their own earned their own gold star. But Ray Cicerelli decided that this guy who's never finished in the top 10 is going to make his stand and his mark by just quitting NASCAR altogether over this Confederate flag ban. And big fat detention, because you know what? A, you're going to come out in history books that's on the wrong side of this one. I don't need to tell you that twice, because they already lost. But B, you're also... You're also like not an important driver. This isn't a stand. No one's missing you. <laughs> it's so, so crazy. T- like I don't even understand what the deal was. Like, was did he think that he was gonna get some sort of attention that was gonna be? I don't even know what the hell he was thinking. He's just crazy, right? And then he, he finished 29th attention. in the race this week. He finished yeah. 29th, <laughs> dude. <laughs> um, so he gets that. My other detention is really, I guess you'd call 32 detentions. Goes out to NFL owners. You know, after a pretty powerful PSA or a commercial, whatever you want to call it, from several NFL players last week or ten in the last week or ten days, the NFL owners continue to remain silent on things. Um, they're using Goodell kind of like a shield between them and the public. Goodell has come out and said that we were wrong about the protests before, and we were, you know, we're going to be okay with this and move forward with that. But if people remember from when Kaepernick did this whole kneeling for the flag thing four years ago. As Goodell laid the policy down, and that's fair, he should, you know, he's coming out and repenting for that in some weird way. The owners were certainly the ones that were much harsher in their language about what was going on, and they are their silence is deafening in in a lot of ways because it, it's like what you were so vocal four years ago. Other thing that I think is interesting on this is where Ray Cicerelli gets his attention for being vocal from a corner no one sees him coming from, like no one even knows who this guy is. The NFL owners are getting their detention for very literally doing nothing, and I don't I don't know which detention I'd rather earn or not earn there, but <laughs> I, I'm worried about what the silence out of those guys means. So that's that's another detention to the NFL owners cumulatively for the change in change in decibel. How about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I will say that Steve Biscotti, who's the Raiders, the Raiders, the Ravens owner, has come out and actually said that he's uh, in support of his players. So he's the one owner that we've heard from. He's the owner of the Baltimore Ravens, not the Raiders. Um, But uh, he's the one guy who's come out. And there's, listen, there's plenty of very serious gold stars and detentions you can give. You can even talk about Kyrie and Austin Rivers and the continuation of the NBA and decide what you want to do in terms of gold stars and detentions. I'm going to take it down a little bit in terms of seriousness. I'm going to gold star actual sports. I'm going to gold star the UFC because UFC Fight Night happened on Saturday, and three fighters in particular, Christian Aguilera, Tyson Nam, and Julia Avila, they were on the prelims, and they finished their fights. They knocked out their opponents in under a minute, and it happened back to back to back. ESPN was totally worried about programming. Them fights were happening (laughs) in seconds. It was amazing. So that was awesome. And then a detention to a good friend of mine, Ryan McCarthy, who does a podcast called Downtown Jets. He's also a writer for Belly Up Sports. Uh, He's in the basketball department, and he loves to – he'll write about anything. But uh, detention to him because, Parker, Ryan shouted us out on his podcast. He actually shouted out FN Sports, told folks the premise, and told folks to go out and give us a listen. 
So you're probably like, man, you're a jerk. Why would you detention that guy? Right. I'm a little lost here. I don't understand <laughs> what you're doing. Because Ryan shouted out Shaka Cummings and Kevin. He called you Kevin. He did not call you Parker Ainsworth. That's, that's, <laughs> that's not even close. That's, I've been called. I my name is Parker, and I have red hair. I've been called Patrick a number of times in my life. I've never <laughs> in my life gotten Kevin. That's interesting. Yeah. So a little attention to Ryan. Let's check out his podcast. It's awesome. Downtown Jets. I'm actually a guest this week where I talk about the Jets draft and how bad it actually is because the Jets fans actually think this is pretty good. And you can actually check that out on a previous episode because we actually talked about it when we analyzed the draft as well uh this is an all basketball episode of fn sports we're going to talk about the favorites for the championship once we get into the bubble city we're going to talk about nba awards and what they might need to do in terms of managing them considering the return from covid and then we're going to talk about the rookie of the year and how maybe this eight c tournament playing thing kind of decides that rookie of the year award so without further ado mr ainsworth are you ready to go sir ready when you are shaka Okay, Mr. Cummings, the first NBA-related thesis this week reads, The LA Lakers are the team best equipped to win the NBA title when the league comes back in July. What do you say to that thesis? I am pretty high on that. I'm going to go B+, just to leave myself a little bit of wiggle room, but I'm pretty high on it. Mr. Ainsworth, what do you say? Do you think the Lakers are the best equipped to win it all? So I'm kind of sitting similarly. I'm going to go just a plain old-fashioned B. Um, I think the format plays a, a huge role. And the funny thing is we'll talk about favorites and things like that, but I think they've probably been the favorite since January. Okay, Mr. Cummings, so you gave this thesis a B plus, which is a little bit higher than I gave it. Um, so I got to hear, what makes you think that the Lakers are – the team best equipped or the favorite to win it all this year. Maybe Vegas has <laughs> maybe Vegas has convinced me. I mean, I don't forget 60 plus games and I went and I looked for the odds so that I could kind of understand what Vegas was thinking with the return of basketball. So I went to a website called oddshark.com and it gives the odds for the teams in terms of coming back and winning the title. And Basically, you have three teams that are at the top of the odds. You have the Lakers, who are plus 190, the Bucks, who are at plus 290, and then the Clippers, who are at plus 300, and then everyone else, now you start getting into four figures. Incidentally, for those of you guys who are not familiar with gambling, <laughs> which might be a lot of us, I don't know, the way that that works is those odds are based on if you bet $100, how much money would you get on your $100 bet? So the fact that the Lakers are plus 190, what that means is if you lay down $100 at the casino, you'll get $190 back on top of the $100 that you bet. So your $100 bet, you'll get $290 back total, $190 return plus your $100 bet, right? So just so that folks kind of understand the odds. But um, those three teams are at the top. And then you've got a lot of teams that are kind of at the four figures. So like the Celtics are plus 1200, your Rockets are plus 1400. And then you got the really long shots. The longest odds are the Memphis Grizzlies who are plus 50,000. So think about laying a hundred dollars down and getting $50,000. That'd be awesome. Um, the magic Suns, Kings and Spurs are all at plus 75,000. And then the wizards are the longest shot. They're at plus 100,000. Um, that being said, I think that there are actually some really good values. Like, if you are interested in the gambling aspect, just looking at Odd Shark, I would lay down $100 on the Celtics at plus $1,200. Uh, that means that you would get $1,200 if the Celtics were to win. Uh, we'll talk about the Celtics, and I think that they are pretty talented and an experienced team, especially in the shortened format. Um, I also think that the 76ers are pretty talented rather experienced team as well and they're at plus okay. two thousand so you could actually get I, some money there too i hear what you're doing you're just jump skipping my houston rockets there at plus 1400 i don't i i i look at it and i see i completely understand why the lakers are the best odds as in like the least return because of the most likely right um at, sitting at plus 190 they're you know they're built to win it all. They've got LeBron's been to however many he went to however many titles in a row, championships in a row. 
they've got Anthony Davis and the flexibility of a guy like he him can add if you want to go big and play him with a power forward with a JaVale McGee or Dwight Howard and LeBron and like Danny Green and, and have a big, big lineup. Or you could play him at the five and go small. And they do they do a lot of things. Um, Don't forget Rondo, but, too. Like, Rajon Rondo, Rondo makes a difference. Rondo's a big big part of that. Uh, he's, he's a veteran of sorts for them. And he and Davis have some chemistry, especially from his time in New Orleans together. I think the deal with me is, as I look at, again, you're going to call me a total homer. Um, the Rockets <laughs> at plus 1,400, though, interesting to me because their style of play is going to be very boom or bust in this very like condensed format where you're playing like every other day. Um, they're either going to just get hot and be on like, just have a hot shooting streak for three weeks and be like, blow the whole thing up because you can't cover them all. Or it's going to be too condensed a schedule and they're going to be running ragged and they're not going to be hot and they're going to fall apart really fast. So like, I guess that that hundred dollars to get the 1400 back might seem most like high variance or like biggest gamble, but there is a, it's not an unheard of scenario where like, if they just hit a hot streak, they have a couple guys hit hot shooting streaks. They're really hard to cover as we saw in their small ball stuff. Um, and so this is almost built for like, if you're going to keep rolling those dice every day, this is, you know, we're shooting well this week. Boom. We, we just want a series. Like that's as fast as this thing could go. No, I actually uh, think that that's really good reasoning. And you might have convinced me to lay a hundred now. The thing, that scares, <laughs> the thing that scares me with the Rockets. And I've said this on the small ball podcast when we talked about them is just, uh, they have some obvious obstacles that they'll run into with the Lakers and Clippers and how big those teams can play because they're both big and athletic. And so in my mind, I can see them losing. I can see them losing to Denver too. Um, but you're right. I mean, 1400 bucks, like the plus 1400 odds aren't bad odds at all. The, the thing I think that's interesting in looking at the Lakers, part of the reason they're the favorite is they have it theoretically in this bubble, they're going to get eight games before the playoffs. They have a pretty easy eight games you know relatively speaking because you're only playing teams that are there so you're not playing teams that were like fighting for the number one overall pick or like teams at the bottom of the barrel like you're only playing potential playoff teams and so relatively speaking the lakers play they would open with the rockets which it you know i just argued that'd be a tough one the nuggets and i think you're higher on them than i am but jokic looks like he's lost a thousand pounds so you know jokic and the nuggets and then (laughs) they play the jazz twice but bogey's not coming right he's got a, a injury the Raptors, who, again, are not the Raptors a year ago. They don't have Kawhi. The Pacers, the Trailblazers, who are looking like more and more, they're not going to send a full squad. And then either the Heat or Magic, uh, depending on which one needs the, the you know to shake out the seeding better. Um, I, again, though, that is really, if you look at the team schedules across who all, because they're all going to be play, potentially playoff teams, if you look at every, because they're only playing the teams that are there at the Bubble City. That's actually a pretty easy shake for the Lakers. They could find ways to like almost load manage their way as they warm up for the playoffs in a way that a lot of teams don't necessarily. I mean, if you're fighting for playoff positioning or this, that, and the other, you certainly don't. And then other teams are going to be like, no, we need this win for first round seeding. And they have some, you know, if you can have a scheduled win playing potential playoff teams, they have some scheduled wins of sorts in there. So I, I think that that's going to help them a lot because they could easily get that. What do you think about neither one of us has talked about the East much. So what do you think about Milwaukee, Toronto, Boston, Philly? Yeah, I mean the East has in my mind a a couple of teams that I think are maybe built for this bubble city shortened condensed season scenario. But here's the thing that I want to point out is that I actually believe that if you were a team that is having kind of your breakout season this year, I actually think that this scenario doesn't set up very well for you because all the momentum that you build up is 62-plus games or so, it's lost. And so a team like Milwaukee, now I understand that they were in the conference finals last year. That being said, they are best record in the league having a historic type of season. And I just feel like all the momentum is stalled, and I don't see them as this uber-talented team, so much as I see them with, you have the the sun in terms of a star kind of centering your lineup in Giannis, and then you have Middleton, and you got a bunch of other guys. So I, I actually don't think that Milwaukee's built for this. I also don't think that Miami's built for this because, again, I think that they were kind of having this hot season, and I just think that they need more time to actually gel, and so COVID kind of stopped that from happening. The two teams that I look at, 
I look at the Celtics because they've done this before where they were able to uh, maneuver through the playoffs, get to the conference finals, and basically ran into LeBron. So um, I believe in them and the 76ers because the 76ers are a team that's played together and they have those two uber talents kind of at the top of their lineup. So if I were going to pick one, though, I think that I like the Celtics out of the East. What about you? Oh, see, that's so you're saying that the the Bucks are kind of like the sum of their parts as opposed to a bunch of stars. They've got the one super, super, superstar and a bunch of very, very intentional complimentary pieces. Not to say that Middleton's not good or Lopez isn't good or whatever, but like they're not they're not multi superstars, right? It's not like the yeah, Sixers there's no have two there's st- no big three or anything like that, right? The Sixers have two stars, even the Mavs, right? The Mavs have Porzingis and Luca, and that's two stars. Like I, I'm not sure that the second player from Milwaukee is even at, at, at anywhere near that kind of realm. Um, but I do think that that team, because it's just a well put together team, and they know who they are. And like they know what their jobs and roles are, that's going to be important because to me that's the kind of stuff that there's been no question about that in this time off. Whereas the Celtics have a lot of young pieces, and that you know Tatum is growing a lot before our eyes, and so is Jalen Brown. But those guys aren't aren't like veteran NBA players. They just they they went to the Eastern Conference Finals a couple years back and surprised us all. But they're not like multi-year vets. They're on their third and fourth year going or. And they're looking at signing their second contract this or their first extension this summer, right? Or this offseason. Yeah, summer, but there's a lot of guys who were on that team that made the run a couple of years back. I get that Horford's not there anymore, but they still do have a guy like Gordon Hayward, who while he didn't make the run with that team, he's made runs with Utah before. Uh, and they got Brad Stevens as a coach. Like I, They got some experience that, I don't know. There's just some other teams I feel like don't have it. And it's weird because I'm like, oh, Celtics, they made the Eastern Conference Finals. I'm all over them. And Milwaukee did the same thing last year, and I'm not all over right. them. But um, I just think <laughs> – I do think that the collection of players that the Celtics have, the Celtics are a deeper roster than Milwaukee. Would you agree? Uh, I mean, I think that their offensive talent is – I think that the interesting thing is the defensive splits is Milwaukee – Yes, they had a hot run for 62 games, if you want to call it that. But they really they had a similar run last year, if you want to look at their regular season as well. And it may be looking like it's a team put together with one big name. I, I, I'm, buy, I'm buying the Bucks, I guess, is what I'm saying. is I, I get why they're the favorite out of the East on the Vegas odds, and I, and I see it. I think it's interesting that Toronto, after having the hot regular season they had, is still as high on this list as the SA is high on this list because they're only in like sixth place on the championship odds on odd shark but as high on this list as they are because i really think that they're going to be i think that they're going to be in over their heads a little bit when you get this playoff thing and you're playing a series and you know kyle how many charges how many charges can kyle out really take in a playoff series right like, <laughs> like there's just only so many things they can do now i've been on the hardcore honeys podcast as a guest quite a bit and jade oh, she, she yeah i'm a huge toronto fan listen i depend on the matchup they're going out in the first round like that's what i think but um i i also i could see because again they have that experience it's not championship experience with all those guys now i get that Kawhi was the guy so i guess i really could see this being hit or miss i could see toronto regressing to what they were pre-Kawhi. But I can also see these guys saying, hey, listen, we got to band together and show folks that last year wasn't a fluke and maybe making a bit of a run. Well, I don't want to upset Jade or the country of Canada <laughs> or, or anybody. But when I look at when I look at the Raptors, I'm like, okay, they were how many bounces of that ball in Game 7 against Philly away from getting bounced that day, right? They, so that happened. The guy that shot that ball is no longer on the team. He was a pretty <laughs> was a pretty big part of what they were doing. And I also look at the team they played in the finals and I'm not sure if the Warriors were healthy if they win that series either. Like 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 there's there's several like there were a championship team last year but it was not like I'm not saying you asterisk it. You know I'm against asterisk, but I think that this is like it's a very a very interesting unique year and so I'm not taking it away from them. They totally did it. I'm saying that it's not like they blew the doors off of everyone a year ago and they just lost their best player. Like they were kind of by the skin of their teeth last year and they lost their best player. So that's why I'm holding it against them a little bit more, I guess. No, I am not surprised that the Rockets fan is like, oh yeah, injury definitely plays a role in who wins the championship. Um, <laughs> uh, so so here's, I, I do think that the Lakers are probably the legitimate favorite because they have LeBron and 
LeBron makes the difference. He's still playing at an MVP level. So basically, my NBA Finals, if I were going to predict, I would say Lakers versus Celtics, and I would take the Lakers in six with LeBron James winning the Finals MVP. So you've got you got that seems like a total David Stern conspiracy theory where like the fix is in. We got Lakers Celtics. It's going six games. LeBron gets his third city of championship. Like you're this is the storybook ending in a lot of ways. If, if, if it was <laughs> if it was the real storybook, I'd have the Knicks versus the Rockets with the Knicks finally revenging themselves from 1994. <laughs> That's the real storybook. Um, who who do you think is gonna win it? Like if you had to pick the series, what would you pick? If I had to pick what the finals were and then the winner, um, I. I probably also go Lakers out of the West. Um, obviously, I, I could go total homer and say the Rockets got hot the right week, but I don't know if you can get hot for three consecutive rounds like that. But I, you could, and I, so I don't want to write them off. But I think the Lakers win the West because uh, of their versatility, and I see them running into the East and Milwaukee. And I I also would have the Lakers winning, but I would probably have it going closer to seven. Um, the the Lakers Bucks game we saw right before COVID hit. I don't know if you remember. Um, but right before COVID shut everything down, the Lakers had that big weekend of basketball where they beat the Clippers on one day and the Bucks on another, and they're both you know primetime games. And I, I, it's not that they're going to win because they won that game. Everyone knows it's a one-game sample size or whatever. But the Lakers, with LeBron's IQ in a playoff series, I think, can continue to unwrap what the Bucks do in a way that other teams will have trouble. The Bucks are super versatile as well in that Giannis is literally a five-tool player in a lot of ways. Uh, because he can bring the ball up, he can play the five, he can do whatever. Can't quite shoot the three very well yet, but if he's hot, he's a problem. Um, but the Lakers have several guys that are multidimensional and multifaceted and play lots of positions, and so I, I think that that plays in their favor. I am just happy that we got this recorded. Parker is not picking the Rockets to win a championship. H-Town, revoke his card. Well, Re- revoke it. Take to, it away. <laughs> to be fair, you're talking with me about gambling and putting money on it. That's <laughs> 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 not the same. Okay, Mr. Ainsworth, our next thesis statement for our all-NBA podcast. The NBA should make an exception this season and vote on awards after the postseason is complete. So if I throw that at you, Mr. Ainsworth, what do you say? I think I flunk it. I think I give it an F. What do you think, Mr. Cummings? If anyone has read any of Mr. Ainsworth's stuff on Slick, then you know he was going to fail that because he wrote a whole article about it. Um, I am. I think I'm giving that an A. So, yeah, let's argue. Put the gloves on. We're about to get inside the cage, lock the door. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so Mr. Ainsworth, you flunked a thesis statement, which is a rarity. We could go back and count. Like, that doesn't happen very often. But uh, (laughs) you flunked the thesis statement. The NBA should make an exception this season and vote on awards after the postseason is complete. So talk to me about why you're wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think it mostly stems from this idea that it doesn't make sense to me to have the awards be so differentiated between clearly regular season success-based or clearly playoff success-based, and then to just throw that away this one year when, like, the truth is we have a very big definitive line at the end of what feels like the end of the regular season, if not the real end of the regular season, depending how many, depending on how you want to look at the start of the bubble and the eight games they play in Orlando, right? If anything, as we sit here and think about who should win awards, the only thing we have to think about for so many months is how players are playing in the regular season, right? Like, I, I feel like that we're going to talk a lot about the MVP, but the truth is that all of these awards are supposed to be regular season awards, and all of these awards have always been regular season awards, and we've had a lot of time to digest and think about the regular season, right? Uh, and so I guess that's where I sit from it, um, and I just don't understand at all the idea of, like, why change that because this weird thing happened. Like, the regular season was longer or as long as, roughly, than as lockout seasons have been in recent memory. Yeah, but maybe so, they, maybe we were always wrong. Like, maybe we should have never been just the regular season counting for one award and then having only – there's only one postseason award. I guess there's two if you count the championship. But there's only two awards, really, for the postseason. And if you think about how many games are played in the postseason and obviously the relative importance, maybe the thing that we've always had wrong – is the fact that we separated those 82 games from the postseason. Is that a fair statement to consider? I would disagree in the sense that what's going to end up happening then is 
you're going to have one do if you only gave the MVP defensive player most improved six man they're all going to be dudes on the same team if you gave it at the end of the at the end of the whole the whole shebang right like at the end of the championship being handed off and you hand off the Larry O'Brien trophy it's going to feel really silly to be like all right and we're going to now call this guy that got bounced in the first round to come up here and get the defensive player of the year award in Rudy Gobert like that doesn't make any sense to me um well, I don't know. I think that with the MVP, you're probably right, that the MVP would probably end up going to a player on a team that won a championship in all likelihood. Although I could make the argument that LeBron probably would have won the MVP uh, a few years back when they lost to Golden State just because he was so dominant. But I don't, I don't, I think the MVP, you're right, that it would be shaded toward a team that won a championship. But like, I don't think that if Miami were to go win the championship this year, I think anyone's going to be like, oh, yeah, Tyler Hero's the rookie of the year over John Morant or Zion Williamson. Oh, but I, the idea that he gets a shot, a legitimate shot at the playoff, he's going to get more chance to clutch opportunities. He's going to hit a game winner in the second round and Zion and John don't get to the second round or, or whatever it is, right? There's also this chance that, like, the defensive player of the year is one that I said on, or the most improved player of the year. Those are guys that inherently may not have a real shot at the championship right just because you're a great singular defender even if you want to talk about rudy gobert i think you blow him up more than i do but if you like rudy gobert was a defense <laughs> player last year like that team was not going to be playing in late may and june and like that was not going to happen sorry utah sorry salt lake you're nice you're pretty whatever but that wasn't going to happen right and so i think that it will detract from us thinking about him that way because if you'd have asked me in June who the best defender in the NBA was, it would have been Kawhi. If you'd asked me who the most valuable player in the NBA was, it would have been Kawhi. If you'd asked me who the best coach in the NBA, I'd be like, holy crap, Nick Nurse just did a great job. Like, it would have changed everything I thought because you're watching that happen in high-pressure, tense, clutch moments. Can I, I, can I that, ask you a question? Wouldn't that, everything that you just said, wouldn't that actually have been a more accurate reflection of the season? Like, for real, who was the best except, defensive player in the NBA? Who is? It's Kawhi Leonard. I don't think that that's – I don't know that maybe that's arguable, but by the end of last season, he probably should have won it. Nick Nurse should have won Coach of the Year. I also think that it's just like going to put all these guys on one team. You're going to be handing awards out to guys like Sixth Man of the Year isn't necessarily going to be on a guy that's on a championship-level team either, right? Like Lou Williams was a year ago Sixth Man of the Year, and it's hard to think of the Clippers as not a title contender as we sit here right now. But a year ago, there were two All-NBA guys less and not a title contender. And that does not mean Lou Williams was not the sixth man of the year. And his teammate, Montrez Harrell, was also in the ring for that award. Um, not the first time Lou Williams has been with a teammate in the top three, by the way. But that happened just last year when they were an eight seed, right? Like, that doesn't mean they didn't have tremendous seasons, but they were also on an eight-seeded team. Like, would you have given it to who after the Raptors won the championship last year? Maybe we wouldn't have given it to a Raptor. Although, I mean, I don't know. Maybe we could have looked at uh, Mark Gasol or someone like that. But maybe we wouldn't have given it to a – like, in my mind, for those awards, you have to stand out in order to win it from the guy who probably would have won it at the end of the regular season. This is why I went with the Rookie of the Year conversation because I think that it's pretty definitive that it's going to be Ja or Zion, and I think that most people probably are favoring Ja, although we'll be talking about that coming up in a few segments. So uh, just give us a minute. But um, I think that that's pretty definitive. And if you were to ask me, hey, Shaka, if the Defensive Player of the Year award changed after the finals last year, I'd be like, yeah, should have. Because Kawhi was the best defender, and Nick Nurse was a great coach. And if he won Coach of the Year, I would be fine with that. I guess one of the things I look at with this season, too, in particular, and so why I give it an A to say, look at this season and maybe make some changes, is this whole Bubble City environment. Because what we're doing is we're actually taking the Bubble City environment and we are, based on the structure, placing greater importance on what you do in Orlando versus what you did over 62 games. And the reason why I know that is because I look at how they're doing the eight seed. They're not just saying, okay, based on those 62 games, Memphis gets the eight. They're saying, nope, we're bringing in all these other teams, and then if there's a team within four games at the end, you guys are going to have a play-in tournament. Like, the structure basically says, hey, we don't think that those 62 games are as valuable as these eight plus the playoffs based on the way that I'm interpreting it. The other thing that I would throw at you as well is that not everyone is going to be in the bubble city. So, like, Trey Young, he's – like third in the league in points, second in assists. And I'm not saying that he should be the MVP. All I'm saying is he's not going to get a shot to even do anything 
in terms of the rest of the season. Whatever he's at right now, that's where he's going to be. Andre yeah. Drummond with rebounds and blocks, he is a guy who potentially could be looked at for Defensive Player of the Year. But his season's over, right? But I would also say that just like you're saying – for that bottom of the lead or the bottom of the playoff bracket is being like the start of Orlando is much more valuable to them than the 62 games prior. That's certainly not the way that LA, LA or Milwaukee's looking at it. Clearly they set themselves apart in that 62 games to where this is, those are very literally like tune up games for them. And so those 62 games did matter to them a lot. I guess I also think that the big issue the NBA has is a few years back, like two or three years ago, I think it was 2017, so I guess is that three years ago at this point, they made the mistake of waiting till after the entire season and the championship was over to hand out awards. But the and mistake the reason- wasn't that they waited. The mistake was who they gave the award to, right? Oh, yeah, you're right. 2017, <laughs> they gave the wrong guy the MVP. That was a mistake. But the real issue was that the issue comes up because after the finals in 2016, 2016 happens, LeBron is the champion, he brings title back Cleveland, whatever. And then a couple days later, we're going to give the MVP award to somebody else? Like, that doesn't make any sense, right? It didn't. They didn't do it in 2016. It wouldn't have made sense. In 2017, they do it, and Kevin Durant dominates the playoffs. The, the, Warriors, win, the Warriors win almost every playoff game they play in. He wins finals MVP, etc. We then, the few days later, gave the regular season MVP award to Russell Westbrook. Like, that felt silly, but that was also a way to commemorate the fact that Russell Westbrook just got a triple-double over the course of the season, the first time that had been done in 60 years or 50-some years, right? We also compared the entire MVP race between Russell Westbrook and James Harden that year. But Durant took off in the playoffs in in a different way. That doesn't mean that Westbrook and Harden and Kawhi was also in that race, if you remember, didn't have incredible regular seasons. That doesn't mean that... Those didn't happen. That's just not, it felt weird and silly if we handed the award out after the finals happened. And now three years later, it continues to feel silly and continues to feel like a failure of sorts. Like, why are we handing out the MVP in 2018 to my man, James Harden? He had an incredible year and they were hamstring away from, I'll sit here and argue to the end of the day if we need to, but they're hamstring away from winning it all. He gets the MVP a couple weeks after, maybe it was 10 days after, Kevin Durant and the Warriors roll through the Cavaliers, right, in in the summer of 2018. Like, that felt weird, but it didn't mean that that historic team, it's not, I mean, that team didn't have a historic offensive pace and break all kinds of records and this, that, and the other. Like, that all did happen. I I think that that's why this feels silly. If we had given the MVP award out in the first or second round of playoffs, like we did for so long, that wouldn't have felt as dumb. It would have just been coming off the heels of regular season when the awards have handed out, and it would have been totally fine. Yeah, okay, so we understand that the NBA is trying to create this award show much in the same vein that the NHL does it. Like, that's the reason why they do it at the end of the season. And to me, if you're going to wait until the end of the season to announce these awards, baseball does it the same way, but baseball doesn't do an award show. If you're going to do it in this award show environment, to me, you should take into account the entirety of the season because it is weird when Dirk Nowitzki gets the MVP after being knocked out in the first round, right? I mean, that is weird. And let me say this. When I said that Russell Westbrook maybe didn't need to get that MVP, I wasn't saying James Harden needed to get it. That's (laughs) you. You're saying that because to me, Kevin Durant should have got it. And that's the reality of it. The game's... First of all, we know that that, playoff games are disproportionately more important than regular season games. We know that because we don't hand out the championship to the team that wins the most games after 82. So if we already acknowledge that there's a disproportionate amount of importance and we already have a system in place where we give the awards at the end of the season and we're in COVID, we can actually try some weird stuff. Let's get weird, guys. Like, we can actually look at it this year. And if it feels so disjointed after this year that we don't want to come back and revisit it, okay, at least we gave it a shot. Like, that to me, all of those three reasons, that's why this is an A. This is the year to give this a shot. And let's see what we're going to do in terms of the awards going forward. That seems super focused on the MVP, though. Because, like, if you look at, like, most improved player – Yes, last year that was Pascal Siakam, and yes, they did win it all. But going backwards in order, the award winners before him were Victor Oladipo. Hold on, stop, 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 stop. I want you to stop for a second. I want you to stop for a second. I want you to tell me if you could name who won the most improved player without Googling it. 
Oh, I did research and it's already <laughs> no. The reason there. the reason why I ask is because when I think of these awards, yes, this process is disproportionately elevating the MVP award, but that's because the MVP award is the elevated award. It's the most important award. So if we come up with a process and that disproportionately already, impacts the MVP, I'm okay with that. We already hand out a finals MVP though, so we already are disproportionately favoring the most valuable player in the playoffs and finals. So why do that for? Why get rid of the other award or do that to all of the all Because the Andre Iguodala won a finals MVP. And the reality was LeBron James was the MVP of that whole season. And if you gave out that award at the end of the finals and you only gave out one, LeBron would have won it. Like, he, but he didn't win the regular season either. Steph Curry won the regular season that year. And so LeBron, it, and LeBron he didn't win it in either Le, case. LeBron should have won it. That's my point. LeBron should have. Because by the end of the season, there was no question who was most valuable. By the end of that season, there was no question who was most valuable. LeBron but was the, the most valuable player in the league. How many years does problem, Jordan – go ahead. The go problem ahead. with the 2015, the 2015 Finals MVP is not that it was should have been given to the regular season MVP because that was Steph Curry. The problem is that we don't ever give it to the losing team's player. And LeBron – even though they lost in six games, was very clearly the MVP. The running joke is that Iguodala gets MVP for making sure that they didn't lose the series and holding LeBron to like 35, 15, and 10. Like, like that, that, the flaw in that system is not we should have waited to give the regular season MVP award out to later. The flaw in that system is we should have given it to the right guy. But That's we don't the give thing. the award to the guy on the losing team. This is the reason why you should wait until the end because you're much more inclined to give – one MVP award to the guy who actually deserves it at the end of the season if that was truly the structure. In other words, do you question if LeBron would have won the MVP in 2015 if we waited until after the season? Because I don't think anyone questions that he would have won it. And I was going to go to my Jordan analogy. But if your, you man look at Steph the, Cur your man Steph Curry would have no MVPs then. I'm cool with that. He would have one because he would have one from his first Which championship. One? He would have that the, was his first championship. Though, then he would have team. one from his second because he won his two. His second was <laughs> Kevin Durant. His second was Kevin Durant, and his second MVP was the year LeBron beats them in sixteen. You know what? Like, like, if, you know what? If if this system you're arguing for a system. You know, if that this gives system Steph means Curry Steph Curry doesn't get an MVP, I'm cool with that. If this system means that Shaq actually wins the MVP when he was supposed to the year that Miami wins their first championship instead of Steve Nash winning it, I'm cool with that. If this system means that Michael Jordan gets more MVPs because he should have been winning them and he should not have had to argue with whether or not Karl Malone or Charles Barkley deserved it, I'm cool with that. Because again, I disproportionately count. The playoffs, they are more important. And, and they have a separate award already. Why wouldn't we take into account the regular season and the postseason so that a guy, again, like LeBron James, could potentially win that award? There is another award. It's the finals MVP. I, if you want to argue about changing how we vote or being more realistic about giving that to a guy that's not on the winning team, as a guy that's liked LeBron for a long time and seen him go up against like behemoths built to take him down. I totally understand that argument. But saying that we're going to hand out a different award based on a regular season, because like in the 2015 and 16 seasons you're talking about, LeBron sat for 15 and 20 games to be ready for the playoffs. And that's a trade-off. You're sitting out the regular season to be ready for the playoffs. You better play better than the playoffs. Otherwise, it looks like you did it for nothing. Like I, I think that those are two different arguments. Just because you don't like who got the finals MVP in certain years doesn't mean to me that we need to hand out both awards taking into account the entire thing because then they're going to inherently almost always if not always go to the same person okay mr cummings our third and final nba related thesis for this week reads the winner of the eight seed in the western conference will determine who wins the nba's rookie of the year award how do you grade that one so let me just say that when I texted this thesis statement to Parker, I accidentally <laughs> put Rumi of the Year, which so fits with the Bubble City. And so we had a good chuckle at that. It's a much <laughs> more interesting award, too. <laughs> um, Rudy Colbert is not winning Rumi of the Year. Um, <laughs> he would never. Uh, I'm going to give that thesis statement an A+. Plus. What do you think? Oh, see, I'm down more like in the C range. So I'm going to give it a C. All right, Mr. Cummings. So you gave the thesis an A. Uh, you sounded an A very plus, an A, an a plus. plus, and you sounded very confident while doing that. Um, and I have to say, as I'm scrolling through the information I have 
in my research, it's interesting that a lot of these kids look like the guys running for in the running for Rookie of the Year look like they're the ages of some of our students, which is a little disheartening, <laughs> as always. Um, so I've got to ask, you know, you feel very confident in your A+. What made you so sure it's an A-plus thesis? Let me talk about where I got my research from, and then I'll track to why I'm so confident. I went to a website called medium.com, and they actually put together a top 10 list for the NBA Rookie of the Year this season. Now, I'm not saying that I agree with everything that they put in there, but when they put it in there, it gave me a great opportunity to kind of run through the great rookie class. This is actually a pretty darn solid rookie class this year, and I don't know that they're getting enough credit. So um, it's very strong, very, very strong. Absolutely. So first, let me throw at you these four guys who definitely won't win rookie of the year, probably wouldn't even if COVID didn't hit, but they won't even be in the bubble. So they won't really have a chance. But Kobe White with the Chicago Bulls, RJ Barrett with the New York Knicks, Cam Reddish with the Atlanta Hawks and PJ Washington with the Charlotte Hornets. All of those guys are having solid years. Kobe White is getting uh, 13 points a game. R.J. Barrett's giving you 14 and 5. Cam Reddish is averaging double figures. He's at 10 points per game, almost four boards. And then P.J. Washington, Kentucky guy, 12 points, five boards. So um, he's doing pretty well for himself, I would say. Um, so solid. Those guys won't be in the bubble, though. Then right. you got well, P.J. Washington's one of your classic leaves the Lone Star State to go play at Kentucky and is now a pro kind of guy, too. So shout out to on lots of fronts. Absolutely. De'Aaron Fox is a bunch of those guys. Um, there's going to be another one this Julius year. Julius Randle. Yeah, there's a <laughs> lot of another guys. one this year. Um, <laughs> uh, the honorable mention list. So these are guys who are having incredible rookie seasons. They're going to be in the bubble, and I don't think they're going to win rookie of the year, uh, but they're having seasons that deserve mention. Tyler Hero, another Kentucky guy. He's from up in Wisconsin where I got a buddy who hates the fact that Tyler Hero committed to Wisconsin, then decommitted and went to Kentucky. Hates it. <laughs> I love it. Uh, Tyler Hero is giving you almost 13 points a game, four rebounds. Uh, Brandon Clark, who plays with John Morant in Memphis, giving you 12 points, almost six rebounds a game. And then Kendrick Nunn, who's the guy who's come out of nowhere, right? Like, if I say to you when the draft happens that some of these other guys could potentially win, you be like, okay, I kind of get it. They're lottery picks. Kendrick Nunn kind of came from out of nowhere. You know, he's almost giving you 16 points a game as well as uh, three and a half assists. So he's had an incredible season uh, with the Miami Heat. That being said, him and Tyler Hero being on the same team probably cancel each other out a little bit. And so those guys are honorable mention because really the award comes down to Zion Williamson and John Morant. And I think that either New Orleans or Memphis is going to win the eight seed. And I think whoever wins that eight seed, that's who people are going to remember for the rookie of the year, even though Zion only played 19 games up to this point. So that's why I gave it an A plus. So Mr. Ainsworth, I throw all that at you. (laughs) Talk to me. Who do you think is winning the Rookie of the Year? I want to know that as well. But I know that you failed the thesis statement. So is that because you already kind of have it in your mind that Jaws is going to win? Well, kind of. First, I want to say good work on highlighting a very strong rookie class. If you look like the last three classes of NBA drafts, the last three NBA draft classes, um, there's a lot of the future of the NBA that we already – like we already know the names of a lot of those guys, right? Like the Jason Tatum from three years ago or – uh, if you want to think, Kyle, I don't think as not as high on Kyle Kuzma as other people are, but some people are. And Luca last year, right? Trey from last Absolutely. year. Absolutely. You got Zion. You got Ja. Like we could predict who's going to be running the league in a lot of ways. You know, hopefully no one gets hurt, but we can predict who's going to be running the league in a few years. A whole separate thesis statement would be: Could we do an Olympic team just based off the last three rookie classes? I bet you we could, and win a gold be, medal with those guys. It'd be fun. It's also interesting because in a more except we wouldn't have Luca. I just realized we wouldn't right. have Luca. Oh, no. We have Luca. Uh, but four years, or, you know, and if you look at the last three or four years, a lot of these guys got out of college early. And if you look at like 30 years ago, those guys could have all been on the same Olympic team. That's not here or there. Um, That's crazy. <laughs> what What is here and there is that we're looking at the eight seed in the West because the two best rookies are on three, two of the three teams competing for that eight seed. And I think it's worth mentioning that as we get closer and closer to the bubble, Portland stars seem to be less and less interested between, you know, whether it's what Carmelo said this weekend or what Dame said earlier on about this, like, if we don't really have a shot at this, why are we going to go put our bodies through this kind of attitude, which I totally understand, because they, even if they got the eight seed, then got to go play LA best four to seven really quickly. And if they win that, then they got to play, you know, like, that's all, that's just the first round. And so Portland may be pulling themselves out is what I'm getting at, because they have some older stars. Let's just reboot for a shortened season next year, right? Memphis and New Orleans, 
are competing for the eighth seed other, outside of that. And Memphis is in the spot right now in large part because John Morant played the whole season. And if it's a regular season award, call me crazy, playing the regular season matters to me in that in that sense. Like I don't know why that's such a controversial take here. But the idea that we're going to hand a regular season award to a guy that played a third of the regular season is a little weird to me. We certainly don't do that with other awards, right? Um, that's not to say that Zion is not transcendent in other ways, but that seems like a big stretch to give an award to a guy that, all things considered, will probably win a lot of awards in his time in the NBA. I also think it's worth noting that, based on some court cases and stuff like that, about money changing hands at Duke that he may or may not have been involved in, Zion may not get to play in some of the Orlando games. He may have to be in courtrooms across the country. Okay, I highly not... doubt that, but we'll, I'll talk about it in a second. <laughs> that Well, what all I'm getting at is that if he can't play in those eight games, he will finish at 19 games, regardless of how they are or not in the playoffs, right? Um, that's not a whole lot of basketball games. That's not to say he did not dominate the games he was in. He, was, he scored 23.5 points, 6.8 rebounds, very efficient shooter, even from three, which I think took people by surprise that must just watch Instagram highlights and not full games because he shot the ball fine, but his highlights are always dunked, I guess. I think the bigger determining factor to me in John Morant, besides just having played three times as many games, is his team is in the playoffs and he played in all just about all of the games, right? If Zion Williamson's team is on, you know, at that bubble trying to get into the playoffs and he played a third, that means they were really kind of at that bubble without him too, right? Like, I, I, they have a, a lot of other young talent. We talk about young guys. They've got Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, right? Uh, they, they are a talented roster there in, in New Orleans. And so, um, you know, relatively speaking, obviously they're talented for being at the bubble of the playoffs. They're not going to beat the Clippers or the Lakers in a seven-game series. But they aren't a bunch of scrub that Zion is like leading to the playoffs all of a sudden out of nowhere. Like they were kind of in that area anyway. So what's, I, what, what was, what was their record? Cause I, I don't remember it the same way that you're remembering it. Like I don't remember new Orleans being an eight seed playoff contender until Zion got there. Like I thought that they were several games out. They're still several games out though, but they're not, I mean, right now what, so right now the Memphis Grizzlies have a three and a half game lead on Portland, With New Orleans, Sacramento. But remember that if you're within four games, you're going to have the play-in tournament. So right now, right, which is, which all is of those teams, weird. yeah, I mean, all but all. So right now, there are four teams that would be eligible for the play-in tournament. Uh, five teams actually, because Memphis obviously would be as well. Memphis, Portland. New Orleans, Sacramento, and San Antonio are all within four games of each other for the eight seed. I guess I'm not – I remember when Zion came back that New Orleans was behind, and I'm not saying that they're not now. They obviously are. But um, I definitely feel like when Zion came in that New Orleans got hot, won some games. I remember the game where they beat San Antonio, and he didn't really play well for the first three quarters. Then he hits threes in the fourth quarter, and it was like, oh, my gosh, okay, this kid has actually arrived. I'm happy I stayed up. I stayed up to like, 2 in the morning to watch that. I was, <laughs> I was happy that I did it, though, because of the fourth quarter. Um, so I guess my, my thing with Zion and Ja, I think that one of them is going to win Rookie of the Year, which means that I, I obviously think that one of those teams is going to get that eight seed. I, I could see a scenario, actually, where Sacramento – could maybe take both of them out too, because in a play-in tournament, Sacramento's got oh, a yeah. lot of talent. Tournament, Bagley and Fox, two more young guys. I mean, like that could they could light Buddy up. Buddy Heal too. I mean, they got yeah. they got talent there. Heal's not as young as you think, but he is. But he's he is, he's know, a guy who can a, play. I mean, he's how, lightning in a bottle. Yeah. You know what? Um, you're right. He's not as young as I think, but he's not. He hasn't been in the league that long, right? I don't want to sidetrack no, this too just, much. He played. He played all four of his years at Oklahoma, whereas all these other guys did one or two at most. So like that. That's the difference. No, right? absolutely. Um. So I guess here's my thought on the rookie of the year piece in particular with Zion and Ja. Again, I am of the mindset, and you can go back to our last segment. You'll hear this. I'm of the mindset. The NBA has already told us that the bubble city matters more than the 62 games because they're doing things like this play-in tournament at the end. Like, if the 62 games mattered more, you would just put the teams in the playoffs. You Here's what you wouldn't do. You wouldn't invite all the teams necessarily at the back end to come participate. And then, on top of that, you're saying that if they're within four games, four games, then they're going to get to be involved in this play-in tournament. And if we start doing the math, guys, 62, 
plus eight is 70 games. If someone was four games behind the eight-seeded team with only 12 games left to go in the season, would you guys think, oh, yeah, that's a definitely a team that's going to make that run to get to the eight-seed? Because I wouldn't necessarily think that. But basically what the NBA has done in terms of the structure, they're saying that. So they have disproportionately put importance on these eight games. And if Zion Williamson goes on a run in these eight games <laughs> and John Morant and Memphis don't make the playoffs because Zion comes into this bubble and goes nuts and averages 30 and 10 or something ridiculous, and now New Orleans is in the playoffs, people aren't going to remember that he played 19 games because that was so long ago. What they're going to remember are these eight. And well, they're going to start casting their votes. There were people who they're already wanted to vote for him with only 19. Oh, I, I understand that. I remember that conversation in February, too. They're not going to remember 19 games because it's a lot easier to forget about games you didn't play in than to remember games you did. I, I think the other thing I'll say about the system set up as it is, is I think you pointed on something without saying it that is very important. Silver knows what he's got going on in New Orleans. He knows that he that Barack Obama sat front row to watch this guy play for free at Duke, for, quote unquote for free, at Duke last year, right? Like, this is a big, big star attraction. The way it's set up is to get New Orleans as many games as possible to get a shot at playing Zion and LeBron in the first round. Like, it's very clearly set up where you can, you're already three and a half games out. I'd argue that three and a half games out with 20 games to go is hard to make up anyway. So and I would not out. disagree with you. I would agree with so you. That, in a regular scenario, that would have been hard to make up. The next step is, like you're saying, then, assuming they have a similar record, because if I look at the difficulty schedule, it looks fairly similar when I looked at it just now, because they're not playing non-playoff area teams or caliber teams, um, unless you know you manage to pull the Blazers a bunch of times, but they, neither one does. Um, so they both have similar schedules for those eight games. Say they have the same win-loss record again at the end of it. They're going to then play a single elimination or some sort of an elimination type quick tournament when, again, you're three and a half games out with 12 to play or with 10 to play. Like, this is increasingly just like Silver wants to see Zion as many times as they can because they know how entertaining he is. And um, because and, they only got him for 19 games. Like, that's the other right. thing. If they Maybe right. if they, they got him got for him. 62, maybe they would think something different, but they didn't. Right. They only got him for 19 games. Um, I think the deal I'm saying is... That seems like, so John Morant's 60 games doesn't count. Like, John Morant is trying to throw it down on top of everyone standing at the basket. He's had his plen his own fair share of highlight material type stuff across the season. He's jumping, literally clearing Kevin Love on his way to the basket, right? Um, he also has back and forth with my Rockets and Harden where he's talking trash back and forth and going three for three down the clutch against Houston when they came to Memphis in, I think that was December, it might have been January. Uh, like... This is this is a very talented guy as well that has somewhat earned that cushion that we keep talking about that three and a half game cushion that with twenty games we'd be like oh you know that's pretty that's not super safe but that's certainly not that'd be hard to lose right um, he's earned that cushion and that he would lose it in a weekend to a team that I don't think is built full of scrubs as I argued earlier in a weekend style last minute elimination weird tournament and then that negates the award he may have otherwise earned through all of the other basketball he played and Zion did not play. I I don't think that's right, man. And I, I think that's where I come down on it. No, is it, that it might not be right, but that doesn't mean it wouldn't happen. And let's keep in mind that while we are maybe overstating what Zion Williamson could possibly do, there's no reason why John Morant couldn't come into eight games and throw up 30 and 10 assists as well. And now all of a sudden – his team gets the eighth seed and he wins rookie of the year. Because remember, the thesis statement says it's about who gets that eighth seed that's going to decide yeah. this rookie of the year, which means that Ja could win it too. Like, Ja could come in, and I don't think that Adam Silver would lose a week of sleep if the first-round matchup with Ja Morant versus LeBron James. I think he'd be cool with that too. <laughs> well, and Ja certainly wouldn't back down. I guess I was leaning towards Zion because he's the one on the outside looking in right now and has the better individual per-game stats. And so that's... I, I, when I hear the thesis, I hint, tend to hear, is there a shot Zion takes this thing if he makes the jump right there? And the jump seems to be much easier for him than it would have normally been with 20 games left. Friends, that is another episode of F is Sports. Basketball heavy this week. 
We're happy that there's a potential for the NBA to return. Of course, Kyrie <laughs> is trying to sink that, but that's a whole other story. Uh, hey, Parker, you want to go ahead and give folks your socials? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at P Ainsworth 512. That's at Painsworth 512, P-A-I-N-S-W-O-R-T-H 512, all one word. On Twitter and Instagram, again, I'm a teacher on summer during COVID, so we have plenty of time to react and interact, so... Shoot me what you think of my grades. Let me know what you think about the pod or if I'm way, way off on my any of my takes, I guess. It's all basketball this week. But let us know what you think. Uh, we also respond to the at FN Sports Twitter. That's F-I-N-S-P-O-R-T-S, number two, all one word on Twitter. I'll dash it with P-A, he'll dash C-C, so you can know which one of us you're talking to. Absolutely. We also have the podcast Instagram at F underscore N underscore sports. You interact with us there as well. My social media is all at Shaka Cummings at C-H-A-K-A-C-U-M-M-I-N-G-S. Thank you guys for another wonderful episode of F is Sports. Please like, subscribe, share, do all those wonderful things that help out the podcast. Keep listening. We appreciate you. And please remember, when it comes to sports, don't flunk with us. Later, guys. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.